time, talent, and financial resources and beyond. Last week, we heard from Keith Kobachs, and this week's story of grace and gratitude is from Rosemary Carnahan. Uh, Rosemary arrived here a couple years ago, and like Keith and Laura last week, uh, Rosemary is indie. She's just, you know... <laughs> um, uh, she's currently the chair of our ministry and personnel committee and uh, leads the weekly spiritual journey small group, amongst uh, other things. So I'd like to welcome up uh, uh, Rosemary uh, to offer testimony. I'm one of those United Church lifers. From my earliest memories, I attended Sunday school and learned all the Bible stories. Though I don't remember being as engaged as I see our young children with Ingrid's wonderful way of listening and affirming and teaching about God's love, I'm on the edge of my seat in anticipation every week. I don't know about you. Like Keith Kovacs, who spoke last week, I attended a Billy Graham crusade at about 12 years of age. It was there that I first felt the call to give my life to Jesus. I realized this is a more evangelical phrase than a United Church phrase, but it was a very profound experience for me. I'm a survivor of childhood trauma, and it would be many years later that I would come to understand the impact of those experiences on my life. As I grew into a young woman and began contemplating what I would do following high school, I began to be exposed to other branches of the Christian faith, the evangelical, the charismatic, the Catholic. I was challenged by the differences I heard and experienced. Where did I belong? What was the purpose for my life? The messages I heard in my head were those of judgment and not measuring up, needing to strive to be a better person. My self-esteem was quite fragile, so I learned to be good at athletics and academics. To those around me, I seemed confident and capable, but inside, I was very insecure. One day, I heard Dr. Helen Houston, a lifelong missionary doctor sent by the United Church to serve in Nepal. It was during her speaking about Nepal that I heard God speak to me. I want you to become a nurse and serve me in Nepal. Who, me? Yes, you. This was another profound experience of God's spirit. I entered St. Paul's Hospital School of Nursing in Vancouver and trained as a nurse. Upon graduating, I sent a letter off to the Division of Mission in the United Church of Canada saying, here am I, send me. Instead, they offered me a job in Hazleton, BC, a United Church Mission Hospital serving the Gitsan First Nations. This was my first exposure to a culture and people that was not white, working class, and Protestant. There was something about the connection these people had to the land and creation that taught me so much about stewardship. They taught me that I was to hold this world in trust for future generations. It took several more years, world travel and a six months volunteer stint, to have my call to Nepal fulfilled. I left as a young, altruistic 25-year-old. The four years I spent in Nepal were transformative for me. 
I learned more about what I truly believed. I was tested with ethical and moral challenges. I questioned God's love for me. Since childhood and through my teens, I'd wrestled with my own sexuality. I felt different from my peers. When I returned from Nepal, I was confronted with my own sexuality head on. And I wandered through the refining time in the church's struggle for justice and inclusion. It was a time of emotional pain and struggle for me and for my mother. It was a hard and lonely period. I understood what it meant to be different, marginalized, unable to really share who I was as a person. Affirm, the United Church support group for gay, lesbian, transgendered, and two-spirited individuals brought mentors and others, to, to, uh, and others struggling to find their place and honoring their call to ministry. I was part of the celebration of the ordination of gay men and lesbians as clergy in the United Church. It was a proud day and a time of healing for many, including me. I was able to build bridges between my sexuality and my spirituality. It was an important time of personal growth. The next three decades were busy with life, career, and the pursuit of security. Retirement three years ago and the loss of a long-term intimate relationship two years ago brought me to the jaws of St. George's. Through these experiences, I recognized that I'd wandered away from my spiritual roots. I wanted to reconnect with a community of faith that would welcome me, and I wanted to deepen my life and experience with God. It needed to be a core part of me. As I joined in worship and heard Ryan's words of welcome, which he shares every week as we gather for worship, and felt that welcome among this community of faith, I experienced afresh the unconditional love of God. I knew I was home. In the past two years here at St. George's, I found a place to share my talents, to walk my faith journey with others, to worship and sing my thanks to God, to experience God's amazing love expressed in Jesus' death and resurrection. I started out as a volunteer usher, like I'm doing today. Then I tried being a reader. Then I helped out counting the offering. All of these activities did not demand too much from me and gave me a way to begin meeting more people. So, if you're new or you're looking for something simple to do, try ushering or reading or serving refreshments in the hall after church. About a year ago, I offered to facilitate a spiritual journey group it's an open group that meets on most weeks, meets most weeks on a Monday afternoon. We listen to a meditation, we talk and discuss issues in our lives and how our faith helps us, and we pray for others. Sometimes we do a particular study on a theme. Through this group, I've made some really good friends. If this appeals to you, why don't you try us out? Everyone is welcome. Retirement has brought time for contemplation, for discovery of new ways of understanding the inclusiveness of God, for learning practical ways to serve the marginalized of this valley, for being a part of a community of faith that calls me to reach out 
and support and honor the saints who have served here to listen to their stories and walk the journey together through loss, grief, and declining health. I feel so blessed to be part of this community of believers. As we heard in our scripture today, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing and no one. As Paul said, I am convinced not death or life, not angels or demons, not the past, the present, or the future, not any powers, not height or depth, not anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So, why even preach a sermon after that? Well, they pay me to, so I have to. That was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rosemary. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have heard that you will follow us all the days of our life, that you will follow us, that you seek us out, and that you will never let us go. We pray that through these words, these human words, your reach and your touch might be known. In the name of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, we pray. Amen. So, last week I said that Keith Kovacs picked the perfect passage for his testimony. And this week I'll say that uh, Rosemary did the same thing this week for the one that she chose for hers. And the, the song that she chose following the sermon, or it's following the sermon too, is her choice, and I think it's perfect, and we'll, we'll find out. It's perfect, because if you were paying attention, you'll notice that she mentioned the love of God seven times. Which is perfect, because the scripture passage itself hinges on, it hits its climax with the love of God. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? the, writes the Apostle Paul. And nothing, he says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the two, or two of the most important proclamations of God's love in the New Testament. And they are actually, incidentally, a couple of my favorites too. You might notice that I find myself just going into those words at the baptismal font every Sunday. So it makes perfect sense that a passage like this one would be chosen for a testimony that makes such liberal mention of God's love. It's full of God's love. One thing about love, though, at least in our modern culture, is that love can be, you know, kind of vague, right? We'll use the word love to describe our deep affection for our spouse, one second, our country on the other, and then the next we'll turn around and use the same word to describe our great passion for, say, uh, Panago pizza with, uh, you know, the Beyond Meat. It's, uh, I love this, you might say. For us, love comes to us in differing intensities, but it's mostly an emotion. Love is fondness, 
of varying degrees, lesser or greater, from soulmates to soul food. It can be a little bit vague. But when we talk about the love of God, we're talking about something infinitely deeper than pizza. Something infinitely deeper even than our love for our spouses and families. Something even more profound than all of these truly beautiful things. To quote the 70s arena rock band, Boston, the love of God is more than a feeling. Let's more than a feeling. Anyway. Ugh. Oh, you can come as you are to this church. And... It's more than a feeling. Paul's letter to the Romans, our scripture passage, was like so many others, written not to people flying high and having fun, but people who knew trouble. Last week, we heard about God's people in exile, and this week, it's a church living under the shadow of the Roman Empire, the, em- or the world's, most powerful super- super- world's most powerful superpower. The local church was persecuted by the Romans and discriminated against for a variety of reasons, and people who, on occasion, uh, or, and they were people who, on occasion, who also just couldn't get their acts together to love God and neighbor like they ought to. So this is a letter written to people demoralized and pushed to the margins. People who need more from God than just a feeling of love. More than just a feeling to get by on. The kind of love that Paul's talking about is less like a feeling and it's more like Loyalty. It's more like a tenacious fidelity. Will hardship separate us, Paul asks? Will distress, persecution, famine, or sword separate us? No, he says. No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor nothing, nor things past, present, or future, no power on earth, not the height of heaven, or depth of hell, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Bible often uses the metaphor not only of love, but of love in marriage, of God as a spouse clinging to the other through thick and thin. And if you read the Bible, you'll kind of realize that human beings aren't always the best choice of an eternal partner. Yet no matter the kind of struggle the spouse undergoes, no matter how much the spouse screws up, falls short, or runs away, God is in it for good, the Bible says. So no matter how good we think we are and how arrogant we may be, or how terrible we may become or see ourselves, or how crushing the world's problems can be on us, Paul says that God will never run away, God will never abandon ship, God's love is goddess in its clutches forever. As the psalmist says, when, if, when, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there. There's nothing we can do 
nothing that's been done to us that can ever change this unchangeable fact of God's love. Not even death. That's the promise of Scripture. God's love, according to Paul, is unbreakable loyalty and unshakable mercy to those who God loves. And like I said, it's more than a feeling. And if you heard Rosemary's testimony, you'll know it's more than a feeling for sure, because God's love actually, you know, changes things. It does stuff. It transforms us and other people. I mean, we Christians so often talk about God's love, grace, salvation, healing as things we do to earn by doing the right things, by not doing the wrong things, or by following the right rules. I mean, Rosemary talked about growing up experiencing judgment and not measuring up to others or herself. She talked about the struggle that comes with uh, the pain of coming out to other Christians. She talked about the times of loss and even doubting God's love for her, the worth of her own life and her inherent dignity as a human being. But what changed this all was the sense of this unconditional love and acceptance that Paul talks about. About the depth of God's love shown in Christ, giving himself for the sake of all. About being welcomed as the person she is and not as the person she should be. Coming to know divine acceptance for her and her sexuality. And seeing God's prevenient grace at work in the lives of non-Christians. Somehow, all of this has changed everything for her. And I'm reminded of the words of the great South African activist, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who once said that we aren't loved because we're good, but we're good because we're loved. Because the love of God in Christ makes us transforms us into people like Rosemary, passionate about social justice, and it fills us with a desire to help those who Jesus calls the least of these. Because we know that we are loved ourselves, we can't help but pass that love along to others in God's name. And that's because the love of God is more than a feeling. It's the unconditional, unbreakable, unshakable, worth dying for, to hell and back, variety. The love of God has no limits. That's what brought Rosemary to church, and that's what made her the person she is, and that's what makes us as a community of faith more like Jesus day by day. The love of God knows no limits. So, friends, I love how Rosemary did a plug for the various groups and stuff in the church, too. So that's, that's, that's wonderful. And that's great.
But the question for each of us this Stewardship Month is, again, not just what we're going to give, not just what we need to do more of or less of, maybe, not how we'll justify our existence or earn our place on the planet. The question is, for followers of Jesus, as it always is, knowing the depth and height of grace, knowing that God loves the world with a fierce and tenacious love that won't give in until all creation is made new, knowing that we are justified, made right, and infinitely precious in God's sight. Knowing all of these things, the question is, how will we let this love change us? How will we let this love into each nook and cranny of our lives? How will we let this love change us from the inside out? And I guess my question for each of us here, for each of you is, how will you let this love change you? How will you let the love of God be more than a feeling? And in what ways, through generosity, through service, in what ways will you let that love remake you into the image of Christ? For we are conquerors through the one who loved us. And that's good news for that. Thanks be to God. Amen.